When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Chris Evans here. A big thank you for downloading our Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up on this week's edition of The Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky. Legendary Olympian Sir Chris Hoy chats cars in his new show, Dream Jobs with Chris Hoy. Freshman starring in 1917, George McKay discusses his latest film, True History of the Kelly Gang. Paul Merton shares all about his West End debut, being married to Michael Ball in Hairspray. And the legendary Sir Bob Geldof tells us about his new album and book. Plus, Prue Leith and so much more all on the way. Not content with being one of the most decorated Olympic cyclists in history, he's turned his attention to four-wheeled friends. His new show, Dream Jobs with Chris Hoy, is available from tomorrow on the Motor Trend app. And here to tell us all about it is a man whose thighs precede him. <laughs> it's Sir Chris Hoy! <laughs> OK, I, I spy with my massive thigh. Uh, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> very well, too. Excellent. So we watched and enjoyed, as part of our half-term entertainment, uh, the first of your shows yesterday, Dream Jobs with Chris Hoy. It's all about driving. So the first... First one is you and World Rallycross. All right, uh, where does it begin? I know all this, and and where does it end? How did you do? How did you find it all? Yeah, well, basically each episode, I I shadow a a person who has a dream job in motorsport. So in the first episode, it's World Rallycross. I met Ollie Bennett, who um, is a, a British World Rallycross driver. I went into Pembury and I had a shot of a, a six hundred horsepower Fiesta rally car. And, you know, I basically had a day to get used to it and then went across to Barcelona, straight in the deep end, the World Rally Championship, World Rally Cross Championship, and I'm racing against the best guys in the world. And it was utterly terrifying. <laughs> it was, and you could tell it was terrifying as well. It's really gripping. And so you're at Pembry, and you do pretty well at Pembry. Um, you're just a couple of tenths off, off Ollie's time, aren't you? Yeah, it was... So Ollie, you know, introduced me to the car, how to drive it, the specific skills. So for those who don't know, Rallycross is it's a combination of tarmac and gravel. And it's a very short lap and you race for about two and a half minutes. It's actually the most fun motorsport to watch. In the world. It's like real life scale extric. It is. is, it, it is. If you speak to any, any racing driver and you say to them, what would you fancy having a go at outside of your form of motorsport? Rallycross is always up there. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's quite big already. I think one day it will be massive. It's, it's absolutely huge. It's very spectator friendly. At the race in Barcelona, you can sit in the stand and you can see the whole race. You can see it from start to finish. There's a huge build up, the tension. There's no hanging around. And it's, yeah, it's just, it, you know, from a driver's perspective, it's one of the most exciting things I've ever done. And the Joker lap's quite, quite handy and intriguing. Clever. Yeah. So because it's quite tight and it's quite hard to overtake, you yeah. have a Joker lap. And that's essentially one lap out of the four that you choose, you have to do a sec extra section, a longer section. So, so it's you, an extended bend, isn't it? An extended it? bend, yeah. and you lose a bit of time. It takes probably about four seconds extra to go around this, yeah. this extension. And you can do it, if you're at the front, you would do that as late as possible. So you're going to try and have clear air in front of you to push on. If you're stuck in a, a queue, you would take the joker early and then have some clear space to try and make up some time. It's almost like an espresso pit stop, not that you stop, but you can undertake an overtake via this thing. Yes, can't that's you? exactly, exactly. So that's that's your biggest chance to overtake. The start is crucial. <laughs> you're lining up like six abreast. You know, you, you're holding this big hydraulic handbrake. You've got the, the engine six and horsepower bouncing off the limiter. You're watching the lights and you've got to release the handbrake, drop the clutch, balance it just right, and get it 
spot on. And I, without spoiling the story too much, in one of the races, I didn't have a particularly good start. Um, and if you stall, then you have to do an extra, extra joker lap. Yeah. Um, so it's just. It's incredibly tense. It's the most. It's the most nervous. Without, without exaggeration, know, it's the most I nervous know. I've been since London 2012. I could tell. Oh, maybe as nervous. Yeah, actually, yeah. I don't know, but maybe as nervous because you knew you had it in the tank with London 2012. And, at um, least you know what you're doing. You know, this. The whole point of this is I'm, I'm sampling. You know, I've raced cars for seven years now, but it's been mainly circuit racing. Mm. So it's it's a passion of mine. I absolutely love it, um, and I do have a little bit of experience, but. You know, on the track and cycling, yeah. I've done it for 20 years. I trained six days a week, 30 hours a week for many, many years. So you are an expert at that. You know what you're doing and you, your brain doesn't have to think about all these things that yeah. you're you're not used to. Whereas well, this, exactly. All you had to do is call up the hard drive. I mean, yeah, I say yeah, all you had yeah. to do, you had a, but you had a pretty decent hard drive. Whereas <laughs> on this thing, there, there, well, lots of aspects, there are lots of variables in process in flow and you the motor programs aren't embedded in, in you and so exactly. you, so you you have to focus on one thing and we can only think about one thing at a time obviously yep. we, often, often we think we, we can multitask but we can't because mm-hmm. we're binary and we can't do it you think you can but you're fooling yourself so one thing something becomes a motor program then you do it automatically but that's not you thinking about having to do it and you can only think about one thing at one time so if you forget to press the start, start button for example yep. yeah <laughs> and, and then you remember to that then you suddenly forget to release the handbrake and then yep. you've not got your foot flat to the floor and Suddenly, you last. It's it is. I mean, you've you've described it perfectly there. That's and Steve Peters, who was our psychologist um, in the cycling team, that's what he used to describe to us about using your essentially your computer. You know, the automatic program yeah. that that goes to the motion. You don't have to think about what you're doing, and you can focus. Use your brain power to focus on stuff, the strategy, um, that the sort of important stuff, and the rest is done automatically. And that's the training, 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 training. And so when Michael Schumacher was at his peak, they used to call it extra capacity. But he didn't have extra capacity. He just had free space with, exactly. in which to work because everything else was so honed wasn't it exactly and you look at the most racing drivers will take up their sport when they're five six seven years of age through karting um, so it becomes automatic for for me I took up motorsport when I was 38 I think so it's like learning a musical instrument in your 30s or yeah. a new language your brain it doesn't learn that the kind of the yeah the motor programs that you develop the, the sort of um just that, that ability to learn a new skill is much yeah. harder when you get older. So. You're going to have fun, but you're never going to nail it, are exactly, you? you know, exactly, you, you, if you, if you If you take up the guitar when you're 38, you're always going to be in a dad band. You're, <laughs> you're, ne- you're never really going to get to the top of the charts. Not really, I wouldn't That's think. That's true. So, Chris, how do we get to watch your shows? Well, you can uh, you can stream it on Motor Trend. So there's a Motor Trend app that you can download. Uh, it's free for the first two weeks and then a subscription after that. And there's all kinds of motoring channels on there, different shows, thousands of hours of four wheels and two wheels um, for, for all kinds of motoring interests. So it's a bit like a podcast, but a video podcast, I suppose, isn't it? It's the same kind of thing. So you don't need a broadcaster um, and you're, you're making this content and you're putting it out there. It's a bit, it's a bit YouTube-y, but you can, it is a subscription service in its own right. That's right, yeah. And it's, yeah, as I say, there's so many different forms out there. So it's not just my show. There's there's hundreds of other ones to, to see too. Chris, it's great to see you again. Likewise, uh, on thank fine, you. Fine. The show's really good. Thank you. Uh, Dream Jobs with Chris Hoy, episode one of six, available tomorrow on the Motor Trend app. There you go, the Motor Trend app. That was Sir Chris Hoy. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. His new movie, True History of the Kelly Gang, is out next Friday and here to tell us all about the legendary Australian bushman Ned Kelly is the wonderful George McKay. Morning, George. <laughs> Good morning. Are you all right? I'm really well, thank you. Well, you? I'm very well. You're very welcome. We'll talk about your film in a bit. I promise. Loads, actually. Uh, but first of all, tell us about the last four weeks in your life. Oh, it's just been mad. It's been, yeah, a lot of... 
a lot of kind of dotting about all over the place. It's been very exciting, you know, going to all these different uh, like these different events, these like awards, meeting all these people. It's yeah, it's been a lot, but it's been good. And you've ticked a lot, a lot of events and parties and people and places and experiences off the bucket list, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. definitely. So, so Golden Globes, you went there. Golden, Golden Globes, yeah, we went to Golden okay, Globes. Emmys. Uh, no, I wasn't there for that. We was um, we were at the Baftas, Baftas as well. Went to the Baftas. Baftas. There's like some lots of Guild Awards as well in America, and then yeah, and then we were at the Oscars the, the other week. Oh, we're just at the Oscars. Okay, <laughs> tell us about that, please, <laughs> that is, if you don't mind. <laughs> that was just like well, it's it's a lot of things. It's just first, it's just amazing being in that that room. You know, you're just. Is it like it's a wonderful celebration, but you're also just looking at all these people that you've grown up with and kind of, oh my God, that's them there. That's, you know, Scarlett Johansson. That's Brad Pitt. That's, you know, that's Tom Hanks. It's you seeing all these people and then, and we had, you know, it's it's a lovely celebration of all the year's films. And then there's like the parties afterwards and everything. So it was, yeah, it was grand. Can we talk about one particular party you're invited to? Can we do that? Are we like to do yeah, that? Yeah. We went to, we wound up at the Jay Z party. Now you say you wound up there, right? So, so there's the end of the Academy Awards and then there's, there's, there's you winding up at the Jay Z party. So obviously a bit more jam in that particular sandwich. Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, that's maybe the sort of, less kind of party aspect my parents are in town wonderfully but you know they, they're, they're tricky you need plus ones with all of this stuff and unfortunately they couldn't get in so we, I just spent most of the evening with my parents there we went off had a drink ourselves yeah. and then when they went to bed things were still going on so we thought we'd we'd, we'd go out <laughs> <laughs> that, that was you know and as, I don't know it sounds ridiculous no, doesn't it, doesn't it? Like, so sound... we just popped along to no, it Jay-Z's. sounds great so did you try and expedite the process of your mum and dad going to bed without them knowing no I t- it's, getting, it's getting a bit late mum yeah, you're a bit no, tired they, they were, they were, like, <laughs> I think it's just that well, just everything. I'm I'm a bit of an old man usually. Like I'd probably be in bed before them usually. Right. But then, you know, the night being the night, you think no, we've got to we've got to juice this. We've got to we've got to stay out, go out, and so you know they went off at a, at a pretty late hour as well. But I think things are going on all through the night. So. I think so. Um, well, I know so. But I wasn't sure because I'm stupid. I wasn't sure whether Ned Kelly was a, a fictional character or not. But he, of course, he he definitely existed. Yeah, he definitely existed. But I guess that's what the film's about in terms of like he existed. But now it's at least in Australia, his name and his image kind of of the this bulletproof helmet, homemade helmet has been appropriated to kind of mean anything by lots of other people but no one actually knows who he really like, I'm sure like, there's lots of history like historical kind of yeah, lots of text legend, on it though, lots of myth but, but so, sort of like he's become almost part of fiction he's a symbol that people appropriate rather than the man himself and this is a film about a kind of version of that man trying to put down his own history. But the first 20 minutes of Ned as a boy, played by a brilliant young actor. Who's, yeah, that? Who's that? Orlando. Orlando's amazing. Orlando Schwartz. Okay, so, so and that, and that sets up um, his backstory and the trauma that and the rage deep within which turns him into the kind of fearless anti-hero that he becomes I suppose his mum who he absolutely idolises because mm. his dad is gen- basically rubbish mm. um, then goes and sells him yeah. to this vagabond yeah. and he thinks that this guy is a gentleman who's come to sort of save him and, and say you know life can be like this but he doesn't realise he's secretly been sold by his mum to become Russell Crowe's character's uh, um, very reluctant murderous 11 year old assistant or 12 year old assistant yeah he's a, he's a confused young man just a bit he's just kind of, he's pulled from pillar to post and yeah, his understanding of the world keeps chopping and changing in the most extreme ways. And I think, yeah, the man that you meet 
like when I when I play him as as an adult, he's just caught in the maelstrom of all of that confusion, having been kind of believed one thing and then having that ripped away from him and then going but kind of being drawn back to the thing that threw him that direction. It's just yeah. and so then as an adult he's trying to kind of suss that out for himself and take ownership over all of that stuff mm. and the first time we see you is under a, a union flag mm. and I'm thinking hang on I've got the wrong movie here it looks like uh, I don't know it looks like Quadrophenia 2 or something and then and you look a bit like Bradley Wiggins in it across between Bradley Wiggins and Paul Weller and it's all a bit punky and that's all on purpose isn't it yeah completely like just the thing is Ned Kelly in Australia like is such a revered figure that people are terrified of touching that history and so stories about him are sometimes kind of a bit bound up by that and Justin said we're going to let go of the history and we're going to make it in the spirit of these boys rather than you know by the letter of what has been said especially if what we're trying to say is who knows if what was said was right so yeah he wants he said I, I see the Kelly gang as a punk band and for that in rehearsals he got us to form a punk band <laughs> I know I heard like, <laughs> about this yeah we had like we turned up four weeks before shooting and he was like right so I see him as a punk band uh, so I booked you boys a gig in Melbourne and uh, you're going to form a band write some songs and play a gig and uh, and we did and he's like I want you listening what to each other what a great way to prepare you for a role it was mad it was mad and it, you know it got us listening to each other like differently and opening up because you're sharing songs you've yeah, got of course. like first day you're like well I've written this poem as the character how's, how's that and then you you know but then you do the gig and we did it in dresses in a bar and like just under a different name and everything so it was it was a kind in of anonymous dresses in a bar you know an anonymous gig but then the next day you walk on with this swagger of being like we did that, whatever. Like yeah. We can, you know, we can do anything, which well, is this also, attitude of the guys. And what the director got you, what he, what he achieved was, which is what he wanted to achieve, is he got you thinking as one. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're a unit, weren't you then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the really clever move. Uh, George, it's great to see you. True History of the Kelly Gang, uh, released next Friday uh, nationwide. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. From co-founding the Comedy Store Players to the long-running brilliance of I Got News For You, our next guest really knows what he's doing. He'll soon be making his West End debut alongside big voices and even bigger hairdos in the hit musical Hairspray. <laughs> Please welcome the wit and the wonder of the one and only Paul Merton. Good morning, Paul. Oh. Good morning, good morning, good morning. So, first of all, uh, welcome to the doctor's surgery. What's, Thank you. Go- what's going on with the voice and the throat? First uh, well, of all? I, I, yes, yesterday I didn't have much of a voice. Uh, I just come back from holiday and I think change of temperature. I uh, just come back from Cuba, which was fantastic. But of course, you know, Cuba, it's uh, very, very hot. And here I understand you've had a lot of storms over the last couple of weeks. Yep. Um, so, yesterday I didn't have much of a voice and I appreciate the irony of coming on and <laughs> talking to you about my musical Western debut with no right. voice at all. But thankfully it's back. Okay, but you have, you have time because uh, it's not till the 25th. Of April. Yeah, um, two months away, yeah. All right, so Paul Merton in Hairspray. Okay. Mm. <laughs> um, why not, of course, but why? Well, they asked me, which was I was rather surprised, and uh, I'd seen the I'd seen the show before. And it's a, it's a you know it's a very good feel good musical, and the part I'm playing is uh, yeah it it is I, I'm married to Michael Ball. We have a song together. Uh, I don't have a great deal of many and there's not you know, not a huge number of lines, but uh, yeah it's a bit of a challenge. But then of course you know I do you know TV sitting on panel shows and stuff, but uh, generally I do work as a performer most of the time, stage performer. So it's 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 uh, it's challenging, but I don't think it's beyond me. We'll soon find out, of right, course. So, so how, how is the singing 
Well, <laughs> I think I might be able to busk the singing, as it were, but the dancing's going to be a problem. I, I played uh, <laughs> When I played Widow Twanky in the Wimbledon Pantomime a couple of years ago, the choreographer was convinced that everybody can dance. And after about two, three weeks, he said to me, like, I see your eyes glaze over. <laughs> not only could I not figure out what I, what I was meant to do, I couldn't figure out when I was meant to do it. So uh, we, we just sort of, I said, we'll just walk around to the music. <laughs> right, so Widow Twanky, um, not, not a million miles away from, from you inhabiting this part in Hairspray. Um, how 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 long did you play with a twanky for? How did it go? Uh, the highs and lows of being a pantomime dame. Oh, well, yes. I mean, it's uh, pantomime is, a, is is one of the great British traditions. The part of Widow Twanky was first invented in 1860. So it goes back a long way. A, an English comic who was a, the most famous English comic of his day, a guy called Dan Leno, played Widow Twanky in Drury Lane. Uh, no, it was great. It was we had two shows a day for about a month. Myself and Pete Furman was in it and uh, Lee Ryan was in it. We had a few other people. It's great because you're given the ability to improvise in a pantomime you're allowed to do it so in the early days of the run when the rest of the cast weren't too sure about their lines and they got something wrong they'd say to me afterwards oh I'm sorry I said no no I said that's gold dust for me I can I can I can spin off that and it's great I mean one day Lee Ryan instead of calling the Empress your highness called her your honour and I just stepped forward and said he's got a court case tomorrow you know and just things like that and so it was it was a great joy but also there's a great responsibility in something like that because you're allowed to play around but also there are dramatic parts within it because I am Aladdin's mother so I have to be concerned when Aladdin's mm-hmm. missing but there was one bit they, we had school shows you know where it's just you're the pupils in and somebody said to me the noise is unbelievable it's, but apparently it's louder than a jumbo jet <laughs> so the point when Abanaza comes on disguise and tries to get the magic lamp off me and I don't know it's him and I'm offering the lamp and the kids are shouting no and they're screaming I couldn't hear what Abanaza was saying even though he was standing me as close as you are and he's mic'd up I could see his lips moving <laughs> so I knew what the lines were but the the screaming was just extraordinary. The Beatles Shea Stadium. Yeah, it was like that. It was like that. <laughs> That's yeah. why they gave up playing, wasn't it? The Beatles. They couldn't. They, they couldn't hear themselves. Yeah, they and, gave. Them, you know, there's and, no point. And John Lennon said, you know, something like, you know, the speakers the size of a peanut. Yeah, so yeah. you know, they couldn't hear each other, and and so they started. They, they realised they weren't improving as a. As a yeah, they they sort of started that whole business of a band being able to play to twenty thousand, fifty thousand yeah, people. Yeah. Didn't they accelerate the development in technology for amplification because they had to apparently? I think they were. Yeah, the first time they played Shea Stadium, I think they were coming out through the, the announcer's Tannoy, PA. Tannoy, yeah, yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> right, I don't know the plot of Hairspray. I've got it written down here, yes. but you do, so you tell us about it. Well, it's it's well, I, I have seen the production about 10 years ago, so I'm going from the memory of that. And I, I took it on holiday and I've read it. Uh, it's about really, it's, it's a 16-year-old, 15-year-old girl who's desired to appear on this talent show on American TV, who wants to make the world a better place. Uh, and it's about a sort of the, the unification between black and white culture. Um, it's it's a very feel good thing, and I think sort of in this day and age as well. And we have the example of uh, Greta, is it Greta Thunberg, yeah, who's yeah. A, a 16-year-old who wants to make the world a better place. It has a sort of resonance for today. It's one of those musicals where you come out really feeling really upbeat and, and really fantastic. See, now I just want to go and see it straight away. So you're doing the job that... Oh, it, no, well, it is. I mean, I'm a, I'm, a good fan of, I'm a good fan of musicals. One of the first things I saw many years ago was Michael Crawford in a thing called Billy that was based on Billy Liar, the, yeah. the, the book. And I, I, I was at Drury Lane and I went to see that two or three times. And I just... When you go to see a good stage musical, you get transformed ported somewhere else you do you you, tra- you transcend I went to see the producers eight times mm. and I ended up crying at the overture uh, the the, the f- whatever the opposite of the overture is at the end when the, yes. the medley you know whatever yes. it is and I, I and I was just 
there were tears of joy. Yeah. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't like laughing or I, I was just literally, I was broken for all the right reasons as opposed yes. to all the wrong yeah. reasons. Yeah. Well, when it's done right, it, it just takes you somewhere. What is that about, do you think? It's the power of music, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the power of music, the power of live performance, particularly in this day and age when a lot of us carry around sort of portable screens and stuff. That's it actually happening in front of you. And we're all at the Coliseum, which I think is the biggest auditorium in London, two and a half thousand people, something like that. So we get two and a half thousand people into something, then the, the, the whole experience of just being in the audience is, is transforming. We heard this last week, and we think it's true, so from a scientific point of view, that when you laugh, mm. it's the only time your fight and flight system uh, turns itself off, and it turns off completely when you laugh, and then it yes. turns itself back on immediately. Have well, you heard that before? I mean, no, I haven't heard that. But I mean, certainly when you're laughing at something, when you're really seeing something funny, uh, your your brain is flooded with these good field chemicals, which are naturally produced by the body. Nothing else exists for you at that moment. You don't have no mortgage worries. You don't worry about the kid's <laughs> education. For that moment when you're laughing at something, you are completely consumed by that laughter. So I can well believe what you're saying is true. Give us a couple of most memorable Comedy Store Players' nights. Oh, well, it's... it's Robin Williams or anyone like that pop he, in? He popped in, yes, he popped in one day, a long time ago now. I mean, I can't remember actually any bits that we do, because the thing about improvisation is it goes out your mind as soon as you've done it. Right. So somebody comes up to you afterwards uh, or the following week and says, oh, I love that bit about the budgie with a Geordie accent that played rugby for Halifax. <laughs> And you say, what? <laughs> and it turns out it was a 10-minute scene or whatever. But it's, it's funny how the, the brain works, because your brain knows without you actually having to send it a message. You don't need to remember that anymore. It's not important. It's gone. Right, so when do you sit down uh, with Michael Ball for the second time about... What, what is it... I mean, you know, as far as wife material is concerned... Yes. What do you think of Michael Ball as, you know... I think he's a very attractive woman. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We've heard from three guests already, but there's loads more still to come. Pruleith chats her brand new cookbook, The Vegetarian Kitchen. Sir Bob Geldof tells us about his brand new book, Tales of Boomtown Glory, an album, Citizens of Boomtown. Author extraordinaire Giovanna Fletcher telling us about her new book, Letters on Motherhood, and what it was like having the Duchess of Cambridge star on her Happy Mum, Happy Baby podcast. All that and more, but first, Dapper Dave, who's next? The new book, Tales of Boomtown, and new album, Citizens of Boomtown, are both out next month, and here to tell us no, more. No, you're wrong. It no, you're wrong. No. You've got the name wrong. What's the name? Evans. Uh, this show is going pear-shaped already. <laughs> Tales of Boontown Glory. I don't write the intros. Tales. I've got some amazing questions for the interview. Oh, OK. All right. <clears throat> the new book, Tales of Boontown Glory, a new album, Dave, Citizens Dave, of Boontown. Dave, Dave, about... Can you imagine working with him for two and a half years? <laughs> <laughs> Absolute nightmare. <laughs> Made him a fortune. OK, here we go. <clears throat> the new book, Tales of Boomtown Glory and new album, Citizens of Boomtown, are both out next month. And here to tell us more is a co-writer of one of the biggest selling singles of all time, a rock star, a knight of the realm, a charity founder and a man with a real life detail. It is, of course, the one and only Sir Bob Geldof. <laughs> Good one, Dave. Yes. Well done. <laughs> 
Yeah, eye, ear, uh, <laughs> pulse for detail. Really annoying, actually. But great to have you here, Bob. Thanks, uh, Bob, I love your book, Tales of Boomtown Glory. You Thank speak you. beautifully, but you write even better. You should write more, really. I mean, uh, can you do me a favour? Can you read out those two paragraphs from your own book, if you don't mind? Is that the bit with the cursing in it? No. Oh, dear. No. <laughs> then circle, then circle. It's about songwriting. Off you go. Yeah. For sure, there are lines in rock that are as incandescent as anything written by the poetic greats, but they're just that, a few lines. The complete song, however, may ultimately leave you as moved as the greatest poem. It is not a lesser form. Leonard Cohen is an OK poet, but a great lyricist. Bob Dylan's earlier songs are awful poetry, but superb lyrics with poetic sounding imagery. Pop doesn't have to make sense. It just has to feel sense. It, inha- it inhabits an emotional te- intelligence rather than a rational or intellectual or empirical one. Lyrics don't have to be about anything, a truth or an apparent truth that can be beyond actual meaning. Coherence is not required. What is required of a song lyric is an idea that fits around the music or vice versa, rather than any metaphoric or practical reasoning. And therein lies the difference between the poet and the lyricist. It's the tune, stupid. <laughs> what a lovely way to describe it. I had no idea. What a great insight from a musician and a lyricist into what he does for a living and the difference between a lyricist, a great lyricist and a great poet. You can, of course, be both, Bob. You can, but um, I've never heard to take a great poet, um, the great Irish poet who's... Uh, my master, uh, you know, I, I, but I mean, by that I mean I never tried to copy him or one can't, but just simply he's just too good. Um, uh, the Waterboys put a whole album of his songs to music. Uh, Van Morrison's Crazy Jane on God. Van is always referring to, to Yeats and that a lot of the Irish bands, the lads are nodding their head, constantly refer to his use of language and he called his own poems lyrics. But when you put... His, his words to music, a, f- a famous um, Irish um, traditional song is Down by the Sally Gardens, which originally was a Yeats poet. They're pretty crap. Um, it doesn't really work because the poet can sum up. Um, he's only got words and metre and scansion to say what he needs to say, whereas the subtext of pop songs are... Um, the underlying music, the the rhythm, the melody, the note selection, uh, the 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 solo choice, the meter, the scansion, the rhythm—all of that lies under just what appears to be a simple lyric, and so it carries you forward into the emotional universe it wants to take you into. Now, it's a bit early in the morning for this sort of stuff, as, <laughs> as the world as the world switches. Oh dear, what's on the other channel? No, but, no, 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 no. Our listeners have all this. Of course they do. Uh, but the thing, the things you you do have in common, all artists have in common, is they want to get something from inside out yeah. uh, and you, you did that you know, d- during your first job in the abattoir you were writing things down, you are writing your feelings down mm. what is it about an artist that makes them, apart from sort of, you know, I don't know, uh, self-soothing if you like, but what, what is it that makes artists want to get things out in, in the case of the abattoir I was working it was a slaughterhouse of dreams rather than an abattoir for animals the people working in there were hopeless and had nowhere else to go. They were as trapped as the animals that we were killing. And um, I mean, for me, I was a kid. I knew there was something else. I wasn't sure what. I knew I had to go and chase it and find it and I needed some cash. I didn't know I was writing 
uh, our first number one, the first Irish number one ever, or the first new wave number one. I didn't understand that. I didn't think I was writing a song. I was just writing uh, a story about the people that were around me. To what end, I'd no idea. So when the second Rats album, <coughs> A Tonic for the Troops, was coming to an end, the producer, Mutt Langer, who went on to do ACDC and, uh, you know, Shania Twain and The Cars and uh, everybody, Muse, all those people. And he was a young kid too. Uh, he said, we're missing the track. Codeline will understand that you're, you're doing an album. But there's some something that's not complete about it, this work sort of thing. And I said, I don't have anything. He said, you must have something. So a long story short, I said, I've, been, I've got this thing that I just had years ago and there's something about it. He said, OK, read it to me. So I read it and he said, have you got any music to it? And I just played, dang, 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 just, just playing the guitar, G, D, E minor, dang, bam, bam, just do that. G, D, E minor, dang, dang, dang. That's it. And so I said, I'm just doing that. And that became... He said, that's good. Where does that go? And he just he just pulled like a loose thread on a cardigan. This thing that was bugging me for a few years now, since I started the Abattoir, what is it, what is it? And he pulled it out to me. And uh, that was the complete album. And it also, bizarrely, we went on the Kenny Everett show and Kenny said, will you do that track? I said, yeah. And uh, the next day, people went to record stores when there were record stores, like in a movie, and asked for the song they heard. And it took us, get this, guys, 680,000 sales to get to number one. That's 680,000 people had to save their pocket money, walk down to a record shop. And ask for it. Ask for it, and they had to have it and look around at all the records and what everybody else, just to get there. But we did kill Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta. <laughs> yes! <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. She's a legend in the kitchen, an OBE and CBE, a Bake Off superstar, and her brand new cookbook, The Vegetarian Kitchen, is out now. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the very recent octogenarian with tips and tricks for the vegetarian. <laughs> it is, of course, the one and only Prue Leith. Very good. <laughs> very nice, David. Well done. Good well, morning, Prue. Welcome. Good morning, Chris. I'll tell you one thing. I I don't think these guys are looking for octogenarian fans, but they've got one. Oh, good. I, by the way, I didn't know you were 80 years old. Oh, 80 years old. She, she doesn't look 80, does she? No, so, no, so you look 60 oh. if a day. No, I'm in scarpering off in the loo to put my lippy on, so... Well, can I have some, please? Because <laughs> <laughs> if, if that's all it takes... Uh, you know, you do look so well. And even though the last time I saw you, you were wheelchair-bound, yeah. uh, you even look well there in a field in Hampshire. Uh, so what was wrong with your leg? How's your leg now? My leg's fine now. What had happened is that I bust my Achilles tendon, dressed up in a lion suit, jumping on the Bake Off set. Well, that's your own fault then, in that case. Yeah. Well, it's not, actually. It's Channel 4's. I should sue them. <laughs> Could you? <laughs> Don't be silly. Should you? Would you? Don't be silly. So, so, so how is it now? You say it's better, but you're still pretending now and again it's worse than it is because... Well, because then you get people to carry your bags and you can go in taxis instead of walk and that's all good things. So the vegetarian kitchen, how how up were you with vegetarian cooking before this cookbook with your niece, Peter? I called her Peter before, sorry. Peter. Um, I was quite keen on vegetarian cooking for years and years and years. In fact, when I had my famous Michelin-star restaurant, we had a 
veg, separate vegetarian restaurant um, f- menu from the normal one because I always thought vegetarians don't like to see their their options in between the sort of veal liver and the suckling pig, you know. So we had separate menus. Yeah, because they don't even want to read meat, let alone eat meat. Yes, exactly. And then I... Um, and I wrote a vegetarian book 25 years ago, but my publishers wouldn't let me... They said, if you have the word vegetarian in the title, you won't sell a single copy. Right. And that was true in those days. I mean, the vegetarians were thought of as sort of cranks and, and crazies and, and, you know, chefs didn't like them and often... I don't say they'd spit in their food, but they didn't like them yeah, a lot. Met- metaphorically speaking, <laughs> yeah. let's hope. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, mm, <laughs> yes, maybe. But anyway, um, now it's completely changed. And my um, niece is vegetarian. And I thought it would be good to have a carnivore write a vegetarian book with a real vegetarian. Yeah, because I, I'm I, not, I don't want to be preachy about it. I'm not going to give up the odd um, you know, slice of of liver or sweetbreads or all this stuff. Well, it's so important because, you know, otherwise you're preaching to the converted and you you don't want to preach at all, but also a a sort of soft version of that is you don't want to live in an echo chamber, you know, and there's a lot of fun to be had. There's a lot of freshness to be had. Also, when, you know, I I didn't eat meat last night, went to to Tom's place, the the coach, and uh, I went for for all the non-meat options. And this one, I do feel lighter, I do feel different. I still love my meat, don't get me wrong, and I'll have some this weekend. But, you know, it's horses for courses, but uh, it's always all right to wander into somebody else's field uh, yeah, now and, and again. Yeah, it is, and it's good fun. And I think that what people don't realise about veg, veg cooking is that it can have, have just as much richness and depth yeah. and flavour yeah. as, you know, steak and kidney pie. Yeah. You know, I've been to two schools now where the entire meals are vegetarian. Food. Really? How, how one, is, one is a secondary school yeah. um, in Sheffield, and it they, actually they do have fish dishes on Friday. Because they think that fish is good for the brain, which it is, you know, because of all the omega-3 oils. But they ha- all the children eat vegetarian, and they are fantastic. The day I was there, they were having tacos with sort of some little spicy fillings and some sort of pepperoni-type fillings. and I mean, it was just delicious, and the children were gobbling it up. How did they get that to happen in those schools? Because I know, because we get a lot of uh, correspondence from, from parents, mm. pupils, and teachers and people involved in schools saying, how, how can we get our school to become more, more he- healthier? Well, I think the trick is that the, t- the head teacher, first of all, has to absolutely believe in it. So he, he leads or she leads the, um, the charge and she gets all the parents together and she talks to them and she says, look, if we can train your children to eat well, they will live longer, they'll have a happier life, they'll be healthier and it'll be cheaper yeah. and it'll be better for the planet. And, you know, parents aren't stupid. If they, they think if somebody else can wave this magic wand and change my children from wanting nothing but chips and chocolate, why wouldn't they say yes? I know. And then they do say yes, and then they say, well, okay, the first thing is the children mustn't bring food into school. Because if you've got a lunchbox which is full of, um, you know, chips and cake or whatever, you're not going to eat lunch. Yeah. So they have to eat lunch. It's part of the deal. Um, And, of course, they have a different lunch every day, so they get to change, they get to taste different things. And... They're hungry when they get to lunch, or yeah. just a little bit, pleasantly hungry. Yeah, yeah. So they will try new things. And better food fills you up um, more mm. sort of uh, satisfiedly than, than, mm. than food that has the same amount of calories in, but yeah. not the same nutrients. You do not feel as full, so you want more of bad food than you do of good food. Is that true? Which is really yeah, important. No, I'm, I'm not surprised. There is something about 
in a real junk that you just go on eating it, you know, if you... Also, junk, you can eat junk food quickly with your hands. You don't chew it as quick because obviously it's processed, often it's processed on purpose. And then so it doesn't mix with your saliva. And if it doesn't mix with your saliva, it doesn't fire, fire your leptins up. And if you don't get your leptins fired up, the leptin is the chemical that makes you feel full. And that's why you don't feel full and you eat more of it and you get fat before you know it. So why didn't I ask you to write the intro to our book? <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. She's a children's TV star, an Instagram sensation, a Sunday Times best-selling author and podcasting royalty in more ways than one. Her 10th book, Letters on Motherhood, is out on Thursday and here to tell us all about it is the parenting professor herself, Giovanna Fletcher. All right, and a reprise of the cheer for who it was meant for, not for me. <laughs> How are you, Giovanna? I'm very good, thank you. you. Very good. Smiling ear to ear, as always, but particularly after the weekend uh, that you've experienced. So, uh, the Duchess of Cambridge um, was on your podcast. Uh, mm. It's in its third series, 56th episode, and, and counting. Well done, congratulations. Happy mum, happy baby. Um, here's just some of what she had to say. If you could write a letter to anyone about motherhood, who would it be to and what would you say? That is a very interesting question. Um... I'd like to put people on the spot. I know. Mm. Can I write back to myself? Is that really weird? You definitely can. <laughs> I think I'd like to have written to myself at the beginning of my pregnancy with my first child because I think what I've experienced not only as a mother but also what I've learned on my sort of journey through digging deeper into the Adios landscape, I've learned a huge a huge amount that I would really love to go back and um, really sort of tell myself at the beginning of pregnancy, right, right at the start, what things I feel now really matter in terms of being a parent, but also what really matters to the children mm. and my children now. Very profound answer to a great question, Giovanna. Well done on, you know... Everything, uh, tick, gold star, um, top of the class and all that. <laughs> how did you get her on the show? Well, I've been writing letters since the podcast launched. So we're now in the fifth series and from day one, whenever I was doing press, it's that obvious thing that always gets, gets asked, who's your dream guest? Oh, uh, the Duchess of Cambridge, because she's the most talked about mum, but we never actually hear from her. So I started sending emails. Uh, they fell on deaf ears. <laughs> they weren't read. And, um, and then literally because of the work that she's doing in early years this year, and there's this massive push with her five big questions, and there's a massive survey that's going out until the end of this week, I think. Um, it kind of married in. So I was invited to Kensington Palace last year. I came away. And actually, in that chat, I was told I would get... Possibly 10 minutes with her, possibly, but they couldn't guarantee it. And then we met and it turned into 45 minutes and then we were in the room and it turned into an hour and a half. And I literally literally cannot believe that it's happened. Um, But she is just wonderful. Literally so wonderful. This is like your equivalent of winning um, The Apprentice but not being able to tell anyone until it's aired. Uh, So you you obviously, the the more you said about this uh, potentially happening, the less chance there would be of it coming to pass. Mm. Uh, So you've got to sit on your hands, you've got to bite your tongue. And it happened on my birthday. We recorded it on my birthday. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, But well done. Congratulations. Uh, So so what is, it's now the number one, this podcast is currently the number one podcast in the world on iTunes. Um, So what's the last few days been like? (laughs) It's been really weird. It's been bonkers. <laughs> I don't think I, I... I think the week before, I couldn't sleep. Literally, I, I just thought, 
I've wanted this for so long and now it's happening and there seems to be a lot of pressure that comes with it and, you know, what is she going to say? How am I going to feel when that's kind of taken out of context or if it is? And, and then I thought, you know what? She's a mum and just do exactly what you normally do for every other episode. And actually, when I started planning the episode, that's when it all fell into place. And just before we walked into the room, actually, to do the recording, we were at a, um, a royal engagement at, in a nursery in Stockwell. And we'd been sat playing with these uh, this group of children. And one of them had um, had said to us, oh, my name's Peppa. My name's Peppa. And we were like, OK, hello, Peppa. She's like, and this is my friend George. And at that point, it did not twig at all what she was doing. And as we walked away, she she turned to the Duchess and she said, and you're Daddy Pig. Bye, Daddy Pig. And then she turned to me, bye, Mummy Pig. So this little four-year-old, we were laughing. She kind of broke the ice. So we were laughing as we left that room and into the other room uh, to do the recording. So that kind of kept us at ease. As we, I think, because we were both nervous and at the top of the podcast, we say we are nervous because we both knew what that was that we were doing and that it was going to be picked up and the first time that she's ever spoken about motherhood. Like any of these things, these people come into a studio and you think they've just been plonked in and they don't know anything about yeah. what they're about to do or what they've signed up for. Someone else has thought it's a great idea. But to know that she'd actually listened to the podcast, she got what it was about yeah. and that we are trying to take the judgment out of parenting and, and realise that it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter who you are, what you have, what you do. There are so many things that unite us. And actually, if we don't talk about those things about the fact that we find it hard sometimes, about the fact that it's overwhelming, then they can become so huge. But anyway, we're, you're here to talk about the book. I know. I know, it's such a funny thing. I'm in promo for the book this week, but obviously this massive thing has happened. Well, it's all good news. And this book is absolutely fantastic. This is uh, Letters to Your Unborn Children. Mm-hmm. Tell me about those. So when I first found out I was pregnant with Buzz, um, I... I'd actually had a miscarriage before that and I was quite scared going into that pregnancy. And um, and I just, so that I could get my thoughts down and to start connecting with him every night before bed, me and Tom were taking it in turns to write in this book, just telling telling the baby what we'd been up to, if there was movement, you know, whether they'd had their first kicks, how big I was feeling, anything like that. And at the time, McFly had playing the Albert Hall like things were going well with my career so there's loads of stuff in there that's kind of of that time um, and it's um, something that we kept doing for each child although poor Max and Max is the third baby and I think by the time you're three children in when you get to bed at night you're so shattered <laughs> so he's probably got far less yeah. than the other two S- sunny today uh, telly on the blink um, <laughs> that's it I'll, I'll keep you, we'll update you when you're born yeah I think if we ever go for a fourth hopefully Buzz will be able to write by then he'll oh. just well he can write he'll just write the whole thing you know so the nose turned into an F during our conversation. <laughs> you have been pushing it. <laughs> so this is off air, not I, on never, air. I never say never, never because say you never. never know, but I think the shop is shut, but who knows. For mums, dads, parents everywhere, and other people too, letters on motherhood, Giovanna Fletcher, and uh, the podcast continues to rule the world. Her uh, podcast, <laughs> Happy Mum, Happy Baby. Thank you, Giovanna. Thank you so much. You're awesome. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. She's an author that once said she would never write a novel. Well, quite frankly, she was lying because she's published loads of them, has sold over 30 million of them and has been translated into 33 languages. Her new book, Grown Ups, is out now and here to tell us all about it is a lady that really knows her prose. It's the brilliant Marion Keys. Thank you very much. Dapper Dave. Good morning, Marion. Good morning, Chris. Have you really been up since 20 past four and were you really feeling anxious about the show? I've been awake since 20 past four. Right. I didn't get up till about six. Okay. Yeah, I am. Re- I'm a combination of anxiety and excitement okay. because it's you and it's early in the morning 
and when I woke at 20 past four, I was thinking I could take half a night on and try and get back to sleep. But then I thought I might be oh. kind of dopey when yeah. I arrived. So no night all, no dopiness. OK, excellent. It's great to have you here. I'm thrilled. As Dapper Dave just said that, he said uh, you sold over 30 million books. It's nearly 40 million. It's 39 million. This book will see the big uh, 4-0. Uh, not many people see that particular big 4-0 <laughs> in their lives. Um, are you good at anything else? Because you're brilliant at writing. You're so nice. No, I'm good at almost nothing else. Right. Um, I started painting pictures last August and... I had I made the mistake of putting them on Twitch on on Instagram and everyone is so lovely on Instagram that you know they tell you everything is lovely even when it isn't. So I have mistakenly <laughs> decided that actually I'm a fantastic painter and this is what I really should be doing. But what if you are a fantastic painter? I've not seen it. Let's let's call some of these up. Let's have a look. All right. So uh, grown ups, I was reading the reviews at the weekend, um, almost by accident to be honest, because I was away. I wasn't in work mode. We're off for four days. I, I'd forgotten he was scheduled to come on the show, not because I didn't care, because I. Yeah. Think oh, about where when yeah, I'm at work you're in and downtime. exactly. Of course, you deserve it. And uh, and I, I was reading the reviews um, of all the books, which I do every weekend, looking at the book charts because I'm fascinated by them. And uh, the reviews for your book was they were just like off the charts. I've never experienced anything like this, Chris. This is the <laughs> first time, really, in 25 years, that there has been this kind of across the board love, you know. And my dad died just over a year ago, and my mother is absolutely insistent that it has nothing to do with me, that it is dad who is, you know, like uh, puppet managing the whole thing from heaven. You know, that he's having a word with the right people. And quite seriously, she... I mean, maybe it is. How do I know? <laughs> but either way, I'm really, really grateful. Right. Well, listen, um, Hells Bells, who works on the show, has nearly finished uh, this this book. It's called Grown Ups, by the way, this novel. Um, it's 600 odd pages. Uh, and it's funny from the get go. It? It's just hilarious. The dialogue's hilarious. Uh, have the film rights been picked up for this at all? They haven't yet. But now that you mention it, well, yeah, yeah, but it's so <laughs> funny. If I if I was in the position where I could come up with dialogue like that, I'd 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 forget about the plot. But you've got to get the because the plot is that keeps the, keeps the yeah, car ro things, rolling along the, the road. Things have to happen. Yeah. You're absolutely right. We can't keep having a conversation about Mr Segway. Somebody has to fall <laughs> in love with the wrong person or find out that they don't love their person anymore. You know, that has to happen. If you were in a writer's room now, right? Yes. So you, people are on a retreat. They want to be yes. taught by the best and you are right up there with the best in the world. Thank you. Um, you know, and you said, OK, something's got to happen to one of these, these sisters, uh, to one of these wives, first of all. Yeah. He's married to one of these three brothers. Yeah. Um, what, what would be a, a killer thing to happen? What, what is a go-to thing to happen for, for, a, for a, a, a writer okay. who's not really up to speed yet? Well, infidelity always goes down well. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it does. I mean, intrigue you know I mean people doing things that they're not actually supposed to do right um, supposed, supposed to in inverted commas exactly because, because, exactly yeah because, they're not fitting into the template because of society exactly. has written these rules somewhere yeah. in the ether that we've all somehow agreed to over the centuries yes that may no, no longer hold true yes and that's exactly it people love I mean, I love to read about people who do terrible things or break the rules because it makes me feel better about all my flaws. So uh, a spending addiction is always delicious as well because I think a lot of people kind of relate to that. I mean, I do. Like I go to bed at 10 o'clock every night read, to read a book, allegedly, but then I just get my tablet and I start scrolling on Zara and I'm still there like two and a half hours later. What and is it with Zara? It's, all, it's Zara on Monsoon, isn't it? That's... <laughs> It's Zara and who? Who else is it? Is it mostly Zara? ASOS as well, maybe. ASOS, of course it's <laughs> ASOS. These are, these are the packages that arrive at our house every day and touches are, oh, they're for next door. No, they're not. Oh, yeah. They're not. Yeah. They've got your name on them, for heaven's mm, sake. Mm. Uh, I am first best friends with 
the DPD man, yet my lovely George, <laughs> me and George are like so close because I see him more than I see my husband. Yeah. And um, you write between nine and one every day. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so it is a proper job, but it's a job you love. And because you yeah. give it those regular hours, that's why that's why it's so detailed. That's why it's got such attention in it because you've, you, you, you can tell you've got the time in here to really sort of, to hone, to really pare down a real crisp Thank line you. and a crisp sentence and, a, you know, there's no fat in this at all, is there? Even though it's 600 pages long, it still flies along. You see, I'm lucky in that my publisher gives me the time to right. do it properly. Like, there was a time when I used to write a book a year mm. and I could when I was younger and I had more energy and I had more creativity. But now... And more drive. Uh, yeah, it's true. I have less because drive you've written, now. Well, you've written 18 books. Yeah. The, the drive has to sort of dissipate it does. a little bit. And also, just I'm older and I went through a bad spell of, you know, rickety mental health and now I value calmness and and work-life balance if people will forgive me for using that know, horrific know, phrase know. you know but I'd rather you know go and pick my nephew up from school or go over and see my mother you know and in a way I tell myself that those things are material yeah. and yeah I'm, I'm just really lucky in that I'm allowed to take the time that I need and that people will still read the book at the end okay favorite book ever Favourite book ever, Behind the Scenes at the Museum by Kate Atkinson. Boom, there you go. She's been asked that question before. All right. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you, Chris. Can you Thank come you so back much. and see us again? I would be delighted right. any time. Thank you. You are a superstar. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Next time you think you've had a tough day at work, spare a thought for our next guest. He's a paediatric neurosurgeon that makes life-changing decisions for babies and children. His book, Everything That Makes Us Human, is out tomorrow and here to tell us his extraordinary story is the equally extraordinary Jay J.M. Mohan. Good morning, Jay. Good morning. How Good are morning. You? Very well, thanks. Okay, it's great to have you here. Um, thank you for your book. Thank you for everything you do for the rest of uh, the human race. Um, when did it all be? How did it all begin? Uh, it all began with me deciding that um, being a doctor was exciting, but actually being a neurosurgeon would be the icing on the cake uh, as a very junior trainee. And as far as surgery is concerned, and consultancy is concerned, uh, with respect to all your colleagues around the world, is is, neuro, is is neuroscience, neurosurgery, being a brain surgeon, is that like the rock stardom of, of the, th the operating theatre? Well, um, I think I'm probably going to get beaten up by a lot <laughs> of people. When I get back. But of course it is. Of course it is. It's clearly the best thing uh, ever to do. Uh, why, why would you not want to look after people with these conditions, get them better... And if you can't get them better, make sure that they have as good a quality of life as they can. Um, how come it's so highly revered? Is it because the brain, you know, it's it's so fiddly, it's so fragile, it's so important to us, it's so powerful? You know, uh, is, is brain surgery actually more difficult than other kinds of surgery? I have no idea. I think operation-wise it probably isn't, that there are lots of other things that are technically probably even more challenging. Um, it's about the combination of working out what's wrong with the patient when you do the operation, accepting that you may need to actually make them worse and give them new problems in order to try and help them from their condition and understanding how that's going to affect each patient. So making someone's hands not work properly could be much more difficult for a pianist than for somebody who doesn't do a lot of fine finger work. So it's knowing your patient and intricately deciding how your treatment is going to affect every different patient differently. 
Now, I, I presume you have, but I don't know for certain. Have you seen the story in the papers today with the lady playing the violin? Yes, that was done by one of my ex-mates. Uh, we used to be junior doctors together. Okay, so not an ex-mate, just ex-colleague. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, ex-colleague, yeah, okay. correct. So, so, so t- tell us the story as you, as you read it today, as you heard about it today, this particular uh, story. That they did an operation where this lady needed uh, a, a, an operation that could affect her ability to play the violin. She's a, a virtuoso violin. Correct. So when you're in those really intricate areas, just a slight change of your angle or your approach to um, uh, any area that you want to operate, let's say a tumour, then it can affect a completely different part of the brain that does something very different. And for someone like a violinist, their coordination and their balance of their fingers, things that we wouldn't even probably even notice will make a huge difference to how they play their notes so when you're in such a close area there's no point going this is what this does it moves the fingers you actually want to see what it does to the potential for that patient and the cleverest way that uh, Kumar's managed to do it was by asking the lady to play the violin during the operation it's fascinating it's intriguing is it useful as a message yes because it, it is you know it's a very trendy thing to talk about personalization of medicine nowadays but actually that's what neurosurgeons have been doing for so many years is about we could get 100% of the tumour out, but it's going to give you these problems. Right. And some patients go, yeah, absolutely. I want to have as long a life as I can, even with disabilities. But other patients go, no, that's not a compromise I'm prepared to yeah. take. I'll take a shorter lifespan, yeah. able to do the thing that actually makes me want to get up every morning. And that is a recurring theme through the book, isn't it? It's quality, it's quantity, you know, which is best. Uh, and sometimes it's a bit of both, isn't it, for a while? Yes. Yeah, it it. it it can be very hard, especially now doing paediatrics, for people to maybe understand that sometimes we're, we're striving to give kids just a few more years. But if you think what, what a kid can cram into five or six years of their life and how we as adults, we just waste five or six years of our lives essentially doing nothing. Yeah, presuming we have it to waste. Correct, yeah. And when you've really got it in there, and for some of my kids who have knowingly had a shortened lifespan... They and their families have really had a ball. Yeah. If you want to get into flow, you have to hear, listen to music is what you say. Correct. Ever since I was wee, so I was eight or nine, uh, about that, and I had one of those, um, uh, it was a pie. Remember pie? Yeah, P-Y. Uh, yeah, it was a pie tape deck that my uncle gave me. Uh, and uh, for the younger listeners, you'll have to go and Google what a, a tape deck is. It's like is. an iPod or something like that nowadays. Yes. Um, and I used to listen to music then, and I realised that I could study and learn much better when I had Talking Heads or Iron Maiden or um, later on sort of um, more dance music just playing. It allowed me to fade everything else out. Isn't that interesting? That's so interesting because, you know, you say you use different music depending on different operations, moods, uh, different teams you're with. Uh, so w- when would, uh, when, whenever would techno um, beat Led Zeppelin? Just just take me through that if you don't mind. Yeah, so, I mean, we could that, that'll end up with being a fight between lots of different uh, audiences. But <laughs> techno, um, it's the repetitive beat. The thing that a lot of people hate about techno is right. what those of us who love it it's that repetitive beat that allows you to almost get hypnotized by right. it uh, the same way that you can dance to it for six hours right you can operate to it for six hours or even read a book for six hours and I study. Think, this is the thing isn't it because people may or may not realize how long these operations take so 
a typical tumor is there a typical there isn't a typical tumor extraction is there i would imagine. Um, yeah or so uh, there is a certain location at the back of the head that lots of kids get um tumors there right. and those operations will take between four and eight hours in total to, okay. to to do um and you need to be focused essentially throughout that time period and what about what's a really long procedure that you've been part of the the longest one uh, was when i was a junior and it was 28 hours 28 hours. And yeah. every, every, the same team sticks around? No, no. The nursing staff switched through. Right. Um, I was a trainee and my boss and I did it on Christmas Eve in Glasgow together. And uh, how, how come it was so long? Uh, it was um, an abnormal collection of blood vessels that had bled. And once you get into that, uh, it, you have to get it out because it will just carry on bleeding while you're doing the operation. Right. So you make a decision. And once once you go boots in... You've, you've got to do it all. You can't stop because it will just carry on bleeding. Jay, thank you. It's a real pleasure to meet you. Thank you very much Well indeed. done, pal. Thank you. The book is Everything That Makes Us Human, Case Notes of a Children's Brain Surgeon. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. 